Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Fanzine.live podcast. This is Rebel Yell. This is the Rebel Yell Podcast. Episode 2 is slightly later than we originally said, but for good reason, because we managed to nail down the brand new women's manager, John Donoghue, haven't we, uh, Pete? We have an exclusive for the Rebel Yell Podcast. Yeah, it's nice to actually, um, I mean, it kind of, the original plan was to have Michelle in the podcast, but obviously she left the club and sort of in the last week before publishing the second edition of the end of season unparty, we managed to get John involved in the podcast. So we've got him coming up, but Pete, I think great first episode. I've, I really enjoyed speaking to Stu and uh, George and Hinch and it felt like Hinch in his interview is a bit of normality back again. Yeah, absolutely. After you know, what we've all been been through recently it's just uh yeah just just good to talk about football properly and um, something you know and something to look look forward to yeah and move forward to getting back to normal if you can say normal the new normal the season ahead um but exciting news to hear in the trade uh, the team have been training two three times a week a couple of friendly matches which we've quite convincingly won yeah always good when a worthy win because we were on the run of quite a few defeats in friendlies weren't we before mm. uh, stop playing so yeah good to get back to winning ways and putting the ball in the back of the net and for what the rumours are and what we hear that a lot of maybe youth players and trialists and stuff been playing for the first team in these friendly matches so possibly a few good future signings there yeah there's definitely some talent in in the in the academy team anyway so yeah i'd expect uh, some of those players to be pushing for first team place next season to be honest exciting times but without further ado we did promise you probably when we were doing the live broadcast last summer and a couple of podcasts that when the moment is right the chairman barry hunter will sit down with us and discuss the pitch scenario and what the situation was with the pitch and give a little bit of interest to himself but i think uh, the listeners got a quite enjoyable listen coming up pete very interesting to hear barry in the future of the club yeah definitely it was it was, it was really ins- insightful and a lot of positivity as well that he, he came across with uh, re- regarding everything yeah so i'm sure fans will enjoy it 
Yep, they will. And then without, after that, we'll uh, be speaking to John Donoghue and speaking to the director of football, Nathan Bowen. But without further ado, we'll pass you on to Barry. How are you doing, Barry? How's things going, I should say? Hi, James. Hi, Pete. All good. We're, we're good. We're, we're looking forward to getting out to meet a few people in the, in the gardens and getting a few more walks out there. Looking forward to the world opening again. So, Barry, it's been a while. How was this lockdown period? How was Christmas with the family? And it looks like from your camera, you finally moved into the house that you uh, were renovating when we did the live broadcast last summer. Yeah, we moved into a house in uh, just on the Surrey-Sussex border there and um, uh, about two years ago. But we've only been living in it for six months because it wasn't habitable. So we had to move away. Went up to the Peak District for a while with live at our friends who had a spare home, which was very handy. We used to live up that way. And lockdown has been really, really busy. It's just I just the way I look at life. I mean, I think when things are a little bit going against you, how can you turn some of that into an opportunity? And, I, you know, I've done that at work, uh, but also with, with the football club. We've taken the opportunity, James, to uh, see how we can really p- push things on and give them on a, a really pleasant surprise when all things come back. I think we're in a good place on that. So it's been... Pretty hard work, but I'm really rewarding. I'm hoping that uh, everyone's going to see the fruits of our labour soon. I I understand (laughs) that um, Hinch and Nathan were both very nervous to play on the pitch when it first laid, and they just they didn't want to jinx it. They just kicked down the sides on the channels down the side. We've spoken for quite a few months, and although you've been on previous broadcasts, we really want to sort of. um, just get to know you a bit more and sort of just tell us about your history and how you came to be the chairman of Worthing FC so when, when was it you exactly I can't, I can't remember the date the years just go past now like when when did you actually step into the role for, for the chairman's role it I stepped into the role in October 2019 yeah. yeah yeah that was it yeah it uh, feels like 10 years ago if not 18 ten, months ago. Ten seasons ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, the weird no, thing is you haven't even seen a full season as a chairman yet, have you really? Uh, no, technically no, I haven't. No, no. So how did it all come about then? Because I, I know you've got some history um, with the club with your father, am I right? Yes, my dad was, was involved big time with the club um, as a volunteer for, I don't know, 30 years. I came down to the club to watch the teams and my dad was a volunteer. He would cut the grass, clean out. He was just a volunteer. He was there at the ground every week, if not most days. Um, he took a lot of pride in the pitch. And, uh, uh, he and look did, at you, you've ripped it up and replaced it with plastic. What yeah, have you done? <laughs> well, that was George, not me. <laughs> he, um, he did the tannoy, he did all the announcements and stuff as well. He's yeah. a real, real volunteer. And uh, so I was really involved with the club from a very early age and um, actually played at the club as an under-18 with Jim Lelliot, Paul Lelliot's dad, who unfortunately passed, but um, played in his team with a lot of good players. Had a very good team then. Um, and um, played in the reserves and the first team under Keith Rowley, who, uh, you know, is a, a friend, I would treat, consider a friend of mine even today, and uh, had a lot of good lot of good ties with Keith. So, yeah, no, I, I played at the club and... Um, Probably, I think we were in the uh, the same league as we compete in today, but the year I played was the year we got relegated from uh, the Prem of the Isthmian down down a league. So that was that was unfortunate. I suppose the highlight was probably we we had a famous game down at Woodside, and I was in my early twenties, and we played Crystal Palace in a friendly. And, hiss, uh, boo, hiss, boo, hiss. Yeah, well, exactly, because I'm here. Yeah. We played. So uh, I, I scored. We, we drew 2-2 and I scored both goals, left and a right footer. Nice. 
So, so um, good memories. Uh, lots of games down at Woodside. Um, I remember playing one game for Uxbridge Town against Worthing, and my dad was my dad was on the tannoy that that night, and we <laughs> we won four two, and I got three, and he was quite animated uh, about the goals being scored against his club. Were you walking home after the game? No lifts, I guess. <laughs> None of that, no. But uh, yeah, we go we I go back a long time with the club. And um, obviously I was born in Worthing and um, went to Whitemead and Downsbrook and St Andrews, um, Northbrook College. My parents actually set up a football club back in the day with a lot of my friends' parents called Southdown United. And I don't think I don't think they're going anymore. But they were they they a lot of people know remember Southdown United and my dad was a founding member there. So um, uh, yeah, no, lots of lots of roots in in the in the football community and also from Worthing, yeah. which is kind of why I was very keen to try and help out. Because you um you spent a lot of your years and time at Loxwood Football Club, didn't you? Yeah, I'll, let me let me sort of guide you to Loxford. I did go to Loxford, but there's a long long story that I'm going to cut very short for you. Mm. Went to university and then I worked at um, various companies outside of the area. So I moved to London and moved to the north, well, the, the north and the Midlands as well. Went to Birmingham at university and then worked for Boots and Heinz and, and um, Adidas. And at Adidas, we were living in the Peak District. Um, and then I was there 10 years and when we came back I was I was desperate to play football because I didn't have any time to play football when working for Adidas your sports brand you're out there when everyone else is playing sport you're working <laughs> yeah um so I um I decided that when we came back I was 40 years old um I wanted to play a bit of football again um we moved into a village in West Sussex just next door to uh, Loxford and so I, I, went, I went around to a few local villages to see where the lights were on. And the lights were on at Loxwood Football Club. And uh, I asked if I could join them training. They took one look at me and thought, well, he's not going to last for very long at his age. <laughs> uh, but they said, look, just come on in. Anyway, um, I think 16 years later, having played and then managed, then I was director of football and then I became chairman. Um, we went from the West Sussex Division five. We got nine promotions and ended up in the uh, the county league prem, and not through anyone putting any money in, but just getting a good group of people together and and working hard at it. Um, and I left Loxford um, around the end of 2018, uh, early 2019. We had 200 juniors. At, playing in the club as well, left them in a good place. I couldn't really, I, I thought that the club had, had uh, reached a, a, a pinnacle and uh, somebody needed to take the reins that could really just keep it thriving. And I wanted to jump jump onto a project that maybe I could take further. And actually, that's when Calvin uh, gave me a call. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember Calvin and uh, asked if I could help with the uh, the pitch he had been having a number of issues with the pitch at that time hadn't he mm-hmm. and uh, I because of the work I do with through Adidas and the FA and what I do now uh, in in my my business um, I felt I could help him so uh, I put my hand up could I ask what you do as a business like what what is your sort of profession 
Sure. Um, I well, when I left Adidas, I was managing director of the business there. So I'm in. I'm very much into the business of sport mm-hmm. um, with a marketing background. And when I left Adidas, I stayed in sport and the business of sport, but into a business that I was a part owner in. So we we own a number of health clubs um, and a number of five-a-side football centres around the oh, country. Okay. So we operate those. Um, so it's you know it's it's staying in a world that I enjoy, but yeah. making some money for myself rather than other people. <laughs> no, it's always <laughs> the best way. So obviously, um, you know, with the pitch, then if you've owned five-a-side centres, you must have a lot of experience that you could have brought to the table with that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I know I know the people that can help. We have people look at it for us pulled some favours, uh, lots of things that went into in the background there that probably people wouldn't know that helped us, uh, you know, get the right plan in place, the right support, got the FA on board, uh, got grants involved. Um, yeah, definitely helped. In that light, the pitch has been going on for quite a period of time, hasn't it? There's been rumours circulating around the club for at least the time I've been there over, you know, nearly three seasons. Could you tell us about, you know, you said you've got the FA involved, how you've, you've managed to get it to a point where we've actually now got a playing surface? As you can imagine, George invested quite a bit of money originally in the pitch when he came in. He, he, not only did he save the club in terms of acquiring it, but he also invested in the infrastructure and uh, that included the bar under the stand and the work he did to the stand and also the pitch. And I know he had quite a lot of ambition for that pitch to serve the community, which is great. And actually, I know that you from <coughs> running Knoxwood and also in our business, you can run a whole football club on a 3G pitch. When I picked this up with Kelvin, it was clear to me that the contractors that built the pitch had done it um in a very substandard way um it wasn't fit for purpose and as you know i didn't see it but as you will all know that it was all weather pitch was flooding um which doesn't seem to ring true does it um so what we uh what we decided to do and and the reason it's taken some time is that we had to go through quite a battle with the contractor for them to admit to responsibility and even at the end of it they still didn't and it was becoming quite difficult for us because the FA and the FIFA were no longer prepared to credit the pitch. Um, so we wouldn't have been able to play on it. But because they understood our situation, um, we were um, given a, an, an emergency grant from um, the Football Foundation that uh, contributed a substantial amount of money uh, for us to um, find some match funding uh, for it and and redevelop the pitch they they took four weeks to approve that grant which would normally take nine to ten months um, they did it because they sympathized with our cause they knew that we were a club that was credible um, they understood our case and um, and supported us and I you often hear about not much money going into grassroots football there's you know the Premier League this and the football for football foundation that but i have to say there is lots of money out there and lots of people willing to support us from the fa from the football foundation the premier league you just know you have to know where to find it and that's sometimes a challenge but it's there and um we went to find the grants they support us big time at the fa there's a guy called mark pover in particular the technical head at the fa at the time 
who really did help us drive that project. So we had at the time, we what, we, what was going on was a, a legal battle with the contractor. We were trying to keep quiet the fact that we were trying to raise a substantial amount of money as a grant because we wouldn't want to hinder that conversation either. Mm. We also need, didn't want to compromise the club in any way, shape or form about the FAs or the FIFA's view of the pitch itself and that it wasn't playable because that could have also raised quite a lot of questions. There's lots of things I wanted to say, but especially with the legal stuff and the financial stuff, you kind of just have to, you know, you just have to keep quiet, knowing that the bigger picture will come out and everyone will understand eventually. You know, you take some knocks along the way on that, on that as well. But well, I just had to take the bigger, the bigger picture, the bigger view on it. And um, suffice to say that, that the money came in um, alongside all the work we've done with the floodlights as well and the ground in, in, the, in the far corner, the northwest, with all the uh, segregation capability now. Basically what we've done and one of my key targets was to get the ground fit for purpose to compete in the National League structure. And it is now. We could go and play in the National League South with the pitch and the facilities that we have, which is a huge, a huge gain that we weren't anywhere close to a year ago. You say for the National South, what would the ground need to have done to it to make it fit for National? The only major um, difference to play at that level is that we need 500 seats undercover okay and i think we i think the number that we have is 461 <laughs> in the main stand and we can't actually find any more space to put any more in there so we would have to build another stand the, the challenge there is that uh, and it's certainly something we can we can meet is that any one stand has to have a minimum of 100 seats so basically what we're saying is that uh to go up to the level above, we'd have to build another stand with a minimum of 100 seats to go up to the National League. That's the main difference. I feel another crowdfunder coming on. <laughs> well, let's let's try and get promoted first, Pete. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Because we failed at two attempts through no fault of our own. <laughs> yeah. We've always, um, what's happened with COVID and obviously the money that's been spent on the ground and the ground improvements, uh, the bills that still have to be paid and everything associated with the club. What sort of position are we coming into next season? Is it one where Adam's budget is going to be, be shrunk? You know, players might be asked to take a drop in wages or, or is it a case of we, we, we're going to come back in the same sort of position and we, we, you know, we, we're going to get through this together as a club? Uh, with all the fans' support and everything, is it going to be that sort of scenario or tighten the older uh, purse strings? I think, firstly, Pete, we've got to say thank you for nailing Hinch down for another three years. That's the first thing. That, that's the first thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that. Well, you know, there were a few few items on our on our radar that we needed to nail from an off the pitch point of view. One of it, obviously, was to upgrade the pitch so that we um, we could play national football without any more challenges around what the stadium looked like. And also to give the supporters and all other visitors to the ground a, a better experience, which they'll they'll have now with everything that's been done. We obviously, in that, we also wanted to cement and future-proof Hinch and the manager of the first team. Um, so, yeah, getting that three-year deal with, with Hinch was brilliant news for the club. Probably people need to understand that behind the scenes, nothing stopped. We, we were really going for it in many different ways, not least also bringing in a nine-member committee, uh, a brand-new committee that we knitted together to bring all the skills and um, 
knowledge and know-how that can actually run this club as a national in the national league structure so we were really making sure that whilst things were quiet we were actually really busy and i suppose going back to your question pete i think we are in a relatively strong position because although we haven't been taking revenue nor have our costs been that great because of the furlough schemes that the venue has been shut down We've had the benefit of some grants, which we've used wisely um, a, to help us um, manage the site and keep costs tight. So we're coming out of um, the season. OK, the challenge we've got is with uh, season ticket holders who have paid us money that we've had to spend in, you know, in order to survive through, this, through the year or sponsorship money that's come in during the year that we've had to use to survive. Some of that clearly is going to, we're going to need to provide those uh, sponsors and, and that, the supporters with value next year without you know any more money coming back. So I suppose all the clubs face that challenge, you know, is, is not having some of the revenues because we've we've got to pass, pass it across into next season. But as far as um, um, Hinch's budget's concerned, uh, and I can tell you this because I've told this to Nathan, the club is about to go through its budget process. We we go to the end of June, so uh, we we need a new budget in place for July for the new season, and um, we we've had a discussion as a committee, and we are going to do everything we possibly can to ensure stability with the playing budget. Our, our issue as a club has never been and isn't about how much we spend. It, it, we don't overspend. We're not a club that spends lots of money. Our challenge as a club that I've seen is that there's much much more revenue opportunity much more in line with other clubs do so we will make sure we bring the revenue streams in that is needed to support the, the playing budget not the other way around it's the cost can't drive you know the, the decision here we will make sure that the revenue comes in and as part of that we've brought in a commercial director in dave kukracha um whose son uh luca plays for the club has played for the club has been on loan uh, i know dave from loxford and dave has done a fantastic job in started to professionalise our proposition to partners, bringing in more sponsorship. We've already had more money coming. We've had much, much more wider interest. And I think they can play a really key role there to help bring more revenue into the club. I'm expecting to be able to say to Hinch, same budget, go. Excellent. That would be excellent news, yeah, because like you say, you, you know, with the no income and not being able to play and all the rest of it, fans do worry that, hold on, what's next season going to bring? It's always a concern. But no, that's really good news as far as I'm concerned. I think it was that worry, though, Pete. Like, you know, we've said it. You always worried at how close we were on the two occasions to getting this promotion. I mean, Barry, what what is your view on what the FA did? I mean, I know you've got to sort of tread a bit carefully, but, you know, we, we, we've been quite outspoken about, you know, a lot of things the FA have done. Do you think it could have been handled better, better for us non-league? That's the other thing, of course, all through this this issue where we were challenging the FA, we've we've got on the other side, the FA putting, you know, supporting us big time to get our pitch done. And that, they're the sorts of sensitivities that you're having to work with all the time. But that that's all said and done. I've come out and said this before and I'll, and I'll, I'll repeat it. And we did support quite a big campaign in the first season, 1920, where we played 34 games and sat at the top as did South Shields. And we worked with South Shields, Hastings, and a few other clubs 
to really spearhead a, a challenge, legal challenge to the FA Council. We were part of that, very much at the forefront of that. Okay. It was our opinion, my opinion, and and the committee's that we understood why you know you might decide to cancel to stop the season because of the health reasons. We all, we all get that, and uh, nothing should stand in the way of that decision. But to null and void it, and null and void it so quickly when. Everything in his, all the history went. There was no, there's no, you can't use anything. None of the data could be used. Apart from they kept the fines and the points. Yeah, and that. it does. Um, I, I, you know, I think within a few days of the decision to null and void the season, which was really quick, partly to protect clubs, the furlough scheme was announced, and and that could have made quite a difference. So I think the difference with this this last announcement, again, you you know, people. But above my pay grade and responsibilities have to make decisions about the health and well-being of our communities. Uh-huh. So we've stopped the season. This time round, everyone's made a sensible decision to curtail the season, which means the data could be used. There's flexibility now. And so that must be a kick in the teeth for you, though. Like That must be a kick yeah. in the teeth, especially if you add this season to last season, that would have been enough games pretty much to sort of, you know, guarantee that promotional points per game. Well, I've done the maths believe it or not. And we played 42 games across those two seasons, which is one full season. I think it was 91 or 92 points that we got. Um, not only did with that, when we were topping both both seasons, not only were we, we, we won promotion out of our league, we actually won the more most points per game across anyone else at step three in the country. So yeah. if anyone's got a gripe about this, we, we have. We definitely have. But I, you know, the most important thing is that the bodies that made the decisions second time round learnt from the first time. They listened, I think, and decided to keep the data that they could use for the future. So if we have a problem next year in the winter, they can come back and use the data from this last season. And I think that's a sensible decision. But it has given us, it will give us another season to get things off the pitch where we want to get them to. It's where I want to get the club to. Um, it does give us another season to get things right so that when we do go up, as and when we do go up, we can match the team on the pitch with the performance off the pitch and make it sustainable. We've got a chance to look at some things that probably we wouldn't have been able to have done had we gone up and it was uh, would have been quite a challenge. What do you actually think of the FA fining these clubs? Like Dover got a £40,000 fine. They're, they're saying they're not going to pay it. So I don't know where they stand on that. At the same time, you know, they're in a position where they're saying we, we can't afford to play. So you've got to have a bit of sympathy for a club that feels they're in that position. Well, of course, I sympathise with the club that are in a situation that can't afford to compete. It's an awful situation for them to be in. And I can't imagine it was an easy decision for them to say, you know, we're not going to play. We're going to have to step down from fulfilling our, our fixtures so i absolutely sympathize with their cause and, and a 40 grand fine is that could be the end of them or push them down uh, a few leagues and that's really disappointing for them and I, I i i really sympathize i think from the league's point of view what do you do i mean do you you know you want to keep the integrity of the season going if clubs did that at will then you've got a problem on your hand because you've got no control either. You know, where does it stop? But I just think this season, the circumstances are so extraneous, so different, so difficult. You'd like to think there was some uh, greater sympathy shown to, to everybody's problems. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree with that. I've just got no words for it. <laughs> it's, it's just 
I'm trying to be diplomatic here. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a difficult situation because you can't sit there and be so outspoken because we all know, you know, they love throwing out fines and we don't want to incur anything that... To be honest, you look at it and think, right, we've kind of got over the fact now that the season, we're not going to be promoted. We're going to be back in the Eastman Premier. I think the future is bright, pun intended, with everything that went on last summer. You must be so proud to see what the crowdfunder has raised and now obviously see the, the, the stuff going on at the ground. We've got the bricks. What were your overall thoughts on the crowdfunder? Were you surprised? Were you shocked how good the response was? I was overwhelmed by the amount of support we received. I wasn't surprised, and I don't mean that in a derogatory whatsoever. I was not surprised because I knew just how capable this support base and community were. Yeah. in supporting the club I've I've known the club all my life so I, I know what's possible one of the reasons I came back to help the club was because I, I knew that we had real potential and all the indicators point to a f- fantastic support base a good business community um, a club steeped in history with good good reputations around the non-league, non-league uh, arena so I knew I, I knew what the community was capable of but what I would say to you is that it was such a that got that got kicked us off. That's what got everything going for the whole campaign to get the pitch sorted as well behind it. It meant that um, it meant that we could match some grants, which was fundamental for us to be able to do the whole project. So seeing some of the people that that donated, where they were in the world, ex players, ex supporters that have moved on, uh, people that probably are finding it difficult financially but wanted to put you know put some money into the club. We've had season ticket holders that said, don't worry about what I put in last year. I, I, I can afford to pay again and buy again next year. All those things are what this club's about. And there's lots of people like it. And that's why I'm so excited about the future. I was so thrilled with the the, the, the response that we had to, to the Futures Bright. Yeah. And we, as you said earlier, we might want to do that again. And I, again, I wouldn't be surprised if people, you know, if they understood the reasons for and what we're trying to do. I'd have no no surprises that they wouldn't come back and do the same again. What are your thoughts on this forthcoming season whenever it starts? I mean, we, obviously we're going to be pushing for promotion again. Do you think we'll do it? Well, it's uh, well certainly we've done it once certainly, and we've proven it, and we've proven it on the player budgets that we have and the the model that we have with with young players and the way Hinch wants to run the club with Nathan and. Uh, I I don't you know obviously in all of these things it's like anything you, you can only control the controllables and what we can do is is make sure that our squad is is as strong as it can be um, we know the management infrastructure is going to be there we know that the surface and the facilities are stronger the budgets if they're protected there's no reason why uh, we can't be competitive again next year you just don't know quite what other clubs you know are going to inject into their own budgets there might be less there might be more and it's very difficult what the that's the unknown that we have uh, the reason we we asked hinge to come back for three more years is because we we don't want to put him under the unnecessary pressure of doing it all in one year this is a long-term project once we get up we intend to stay there so we want to be sustainable so it's important that if we go up we go up knowing that we can stay up are there any clubs that you sort of look that have done that? I mean, I'm thinking in my head, Dorking and stuff who have sort of seemed to sustain themselves at a level. Obviously, the playing budget is a lot more than what we are on. But, you know, is there a, a club you model yourselves on to be like? Well, uh, first of all, I think you, you, you highlight a big point here for me. One of the things coming into this club is that we kind of reference ourselves and benchmark ourselves 
against teams around us geographically or in the league. And you could argue in many ways that we're underperforming as a club because we have a bigger business community than, than, than anyone else in our, in our league, certainly uh, in the top half of the league above as well. Our support base, our average gates, certainly are in the top 25% of the league above. You know, and our manager and this coaching team are more than capable of competing in the league above and beyond. Definitely. So one of the things I want to bring to the club certainly on the committee, but if we can extend that out, is to start benchmarking other clubs that are maybe more successful, maybe geographically wider than, than our, our Sussex vicinity. I think if you take a model like Woking, and I don't know the ins and outs of Woking, but they've managed for the size of, of population, not far off where we are, they've managed to sustain uh, National League football for many, many years and, and upgraded their facilities as they've gone. And you can look at Eastleigh, you can look at Maidstone uh, United. Lots of clubs that have similar support structures, support base, population sizes, business communities to us that actually are not really on our radar. And that's where I want to benchmark. You know, when we put a sponsorship program together, what do they do? How do they structure their revenue streams? What's their cost base? How can we do things differently and measure them and benchmark their success and their standards? And I think that would actually drag us up into the leagues above. And I think we could comfortably live in those leagues above if we start to bring in those standards and expectations. It's going to be a more difficult world because we're obviously not going to get everything our way when you start to test yourself a lot harder. Mm. But I think it would be the only way we could probably go up and stay up is if we start to benchmark bigger, better clubs that are much more in line with our own stature. On that point, I think that's why, the, you know, the, yourself and the, the rest of the board have done a fantastic job in um, mm. getting Adam to sign on. With Adam's policy of bringing through the younger players, how important is that for the club from a financial point of view? Because obviously it saves you having to go out and sign somebody and then pick up the wage bill for that person. I think it's central and that's one of the reasons we wanted him to stay. There are two kind of polarised models in non-league football and, and quite a lot in between. The one model is, and you mentioned the team earlier, and you put big budgets in there and you, you, you have very experienced players that can drag you through through the league system, um, which probably requires on benefactors because it's very difficult to sustain those sorts of revenues to, 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 to make that work. That's not where Worthing Football Club is. It's not got the benefactor that would, nor would we necessarily want one because wouldn't it be great to rely on our stature based on the club, its supporters, uh, its local businesses, its sponsorships and everything else that makes it sustainable. And as part of that, we've invested in Adam and Hinch has a philosophy which means that young players want to play for him. He shows them real faith and commitment. Uh, yes, they are cheaper versus some of the more experienced non-league players, but he gives them the experience they crave at a young age to play uh, senior football. He believes in them. They and. There's so many examples of where that belief has, has, has come back and rewarded the club. So it's a philosophy that's it's embedded in how we operate. Bring Let's just look at Finn through. Stevens, for example. He yeah. got released by Arsenal. He's now representing Wales, under 21, yeah. a yeah. season after he left Worthy. Not even a full season after he left Worthy. I mean, that just sums it up. And it's going to be so good for players that, to be attracted to the club for that reason. Yeah, that, exactly right. I mean, the fact that Finn was given, you know, first team football, I think it was at the age of 16. I don't... It was 16, I'm sure he played. And, uh, yeah. you know, for him to go on to do what he's done is fantastic for him. But it would also give other young players the belief and faith that, that they can do the same. And, look, we may not 
make money from that model because players are too young, but there's lots we can gain as well in our relationships with other clubs and with young players wanting to come to play for us because of the chance Hinch gives. It's central to what we're doing. It's fundamental to our model. And if we were to reverse it to the other model I mentioned, I think that would be unsustainable for the club. Mm. Um, It's unsustainable for most clubs. So it's all about sustainability. And to do that, it needs to be around the model that we operate today, just on a bigger stage. If we could find somehow another 500 fans a week for home games, is there any sort of business model where, you know, this is something the club is looking at to to try and get more people through the gate? And if that was the case, would that make Worthing more sustainable? Well, look, the biggest single um, revenue driver for us is, is the gate. And if you were to add 500, all that's profit to the club because all the operating costs of running the day are, are, are already in. So, you know, I've just worked it out, 500, if, it, if it's an average of £10, and I'm using round numbers here, it's five grand a week. Absolutely. 500 supporters would make a huge difference to the way uh, the club could operate. I think there are many other revenue streams that we can bring in as well, which is why it's almost like a project revenue thing for us. Can we more bars, perhaps? Could we, and which is why I've opened that. Yes, please. Order. Yes, please. Yes, please. Yeah, yes, exactly. Please. Uh, more revenue. Can you, can you put a pump up by our commentary table up in the, uh, <laughs> so we don't have to go and queue at half time because that could be annoying when you've got to get on air. <laughs> the longest straw you've seen. Yes. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there are many revenues, all sorts of revenue streams we can attack. The obvious one is the supporters and getting more people to the games regularly, but more bars or more options to sell food and drink more sponsorship, um, more people playing on the new pitch, loads and loads of opportunity. Again, why I think it's, this is something that's deliverable. What we're trying to achieve is deliverable. Is there a plan for the club to, to go out and try and attract these people at all? I can't say we sat in a room to discuss that strategy specifically because there's quite a lot of other things that we needed to do and sort and solve problems first. But it's an obvious thing that we should be looking at doing down the line. Now that we've got a ground that's presentable, we'll give a good experience that looks attractive and players are going to enjoy the lights. Now that's all there and we've got facilities to service people, more toilets, bars and food outlets at the ground. And we've got the segregation. I think we've now got the basic infrastructure where we can have a lot more confidence that we could service and attract more supporters in. There's lots of little ways we can do that. And we will spend some time working out the best policy and we can probably go and talk to you and some of our supporter groups to get some advice on what, what we might be, uh, you know, good ideas there. Adam plays such an attractive style of football. It, you know, uh, you, you watch some of these other teams in our league and they either just sit behind the ball or they just whack it up the pitch. But, you know, our, our players go out on that pitch, with, you know, with a plan to actually play football. Um, yeah. Well, I think that's why, you know, people do come back. I came up there once, I watched a game and I was in, I was impressed. One of the reasons that really drove me to get that new pitch in because I can't watch, I couldn't watch too many more games playing out the back with a ball that was not level and flat and rolling properly. <laughs> we weren't doing our job for the first thing. Oh, either. Barry, when I saw the pitch, I, I couldn't believe it. Mike Tanner was showing me the bumps yeah. and it was unbelievable. I was like, yeah. how, how have we not had so many more injuries? Yeah. then you know it was unbelievable yeah it, it was and I, I i i could see them and uh it it wasn't conducive to the way adam played so even more credit to him and the players for sticking with that format that foot that way of playing so let's hope the pitch. pitch will make it uh 10 times better and the squad oh. will be 10 times worse and boss the league even more 
Yeah. Well, our, our home record now should be as good as our away record, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe an FA Cup run or something uh, against Spurs will be nice at, at Woodside Road. Can you imagine that? <laughs> that would sort us out for a few years, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would be <laughs> nice. The, the last game we attended, uh, Free Bridges away. Bit of an incident behind the goal. Was there any comeback on the club from that? I know, I know somebody's been banned, but, uh, you know, was there any repercussions from the FA or any? Anything like that? I would have to check with with Vass, our club secretary, only because it's not something we've discussed in the last few months. Now, that tells me nothing did come back that we need to worry about. It was a concerning incident, and yeah. the club's made it smooth and d- done what it needs to do with the supporter involved uh, or the supporters. But I I don't believe. I think the relationship we have with the FA and the way it was communicated, I think we were okay. It's yeah. the last taste of Worthing actually we had since the lockdown. It wasn't a pleasant one night. The no, way no. we lost the match and everything. It's like we said after it had to be that, didn't it? When we were on the air, it's like, Pete, it really had to be that, didn't it? Could we not gone out on a high? Not thinking that would have been the last bit of football we saw for this season, though. I oh, know. It was, it was a shame to go out on that. On that. But, but the uh, crazy world we live in right now. But, you know, but I, I think, you know, from from the club's point of view, I'm, I'm really pleased that it was dealt with so quickly and, and those fans were, you know, told, told they were banned because, you know, we, do, we don't want that sort of behaviour. And I think it's no, it's, it's testament it's testament to the other people that have pointed the people out that were, that were doing it. So, if you know, if there is bad behaviour around, don't be scared to report it because we don't, we don't need incidents like this. No, agreed. We were, you know, the committee was very clear about how it's, what its view was and uh people the right people were spoken to to get the right information and decisions were made quickly and we made a very clear stance on 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 our position on something as as bad taste as that so um yeah hopefully it's dealt with we've had we've had little incidents as well down at the ground in in recent weeks with people getting over the gate and kicking the ball about and you know all those things but yeah, um, I've heard Pete was one of them, actually. I, <laughs> yeah, I gave him a leg up, mate, so it's not my fault I ran away. <laughs> it's just because I lost my hair. <laughs> Hooligan Pete. But, that's, uh, been, that's been something going around the country. All of our football centres, people are breaking into them or climbing over fences. Just to, You're better off just leaving the blooming gates open, actually. Barry, thank you so much for your time. It's been great to catch up with you again. I'm sure I could go out for Pete as well and all the listeners. Fascinating insight into yourself and pitch situation. But the most important thing is and let's hope nothing delays the start of the season. <laughs> so we're looking forward to catch up with you, hopefully in person, in the bar, without a mask on and a pint of beer in our hands before too long. Thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure to talk to you guys and catch up again. This is the Rebel Yell Podcast. So now we're joined by Nathan Bowen back uh, coaching again for the first time in quite a few months, Nathan, isn't it? Yeah, um, I think our last session would have been, well, it was pre-Christmas. Yeah. Um, when everything we, we was expecting to get back. But yeah, not, not since December. Yeah. yeah, so a long old time. How's the facilities for the pitch? Because I've seen pictures and it looks beautiful. I'm sure the players are chomping at the bit. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. The, the, the pitch is unbelievable. It's, it's actually flat, <laughs> which, is, which is a good start. But, you know, that, that was a big hurdle for us to get over, um, completing that pitch. Um, you know, at one point it looked like we were going to have to ground share. Obviously, we played a, a game at Horsham. We've got seven or eight teams that we had to find training for in that time. So, yeah, really, really good to get the pitch back. But also, the change rooms have had a bit of a revamp. Hopefully, you know, when we're allowed, you guys can have a look at that. Um, we've got new offices, got a new food block. So, yeah, it's, the, the facilities as a whole 
have had a bit of an upgrade, which is nice. Yeah. So onto the playing part. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, you can't play. <laughs> <laughs> he's already told me he's playing on yeah. Friday. I'm not allowed. I'm, I'm not. I haven't got a squad number. <laughs> I do want one. Um, obviously, the lads are chomping at a bit to get on the pitch. So, what's sort of ahead for the next couple of months? The first thing really is just to get back and and for their well-being and just to see the lads and have a bit of fun so yeah March and, and, and April will be just getting back getting rid of that that ring rust of, of not doing any football for, for three months obviously a lot of them keep themselves really fit they're, they're a great great squad they look after themselves so they're not going to come back unfit but as you know, you know football and, and training is, is a lot different to, to running 5Ks and 10Ks every week. So the first few weeks is literally about just getting back and, and enjoying the game again, um, which we've all missed. Um, and then after that, once we get into May time, you start thinking about next season and recruitment, might look at some trialists. Obviously, we've got some really good young players coming through our 16s, 18s and academy. That would be a good opportunity uh, in sort of May time, April, May, to mix those guys in and, and see which ones are ready to, to, sp uh, to support the squad now and which ones we need to find loans for, which ones need to just, you know, stay and play in the youth teams. So it gives us a really good time to assess where our young players are at and any other young players in, in Sussex that are around. You know, we, we like to feel that we're the best place for young talent in Sussex. So, yeah, we'll use May for that and then obviously June off. We don't want to be going too much when you go into the new season and then back in July for, for the start of pre-season and going to attack the season again. One of the biggest fears, like I say, you're going to do some training sessions and everything, is, um, and as you said, running five, playing football to running 5K is a totally different ball game because mm. of twisting and turning, etc. Is, is it a fear that you know, someone m might get some sort of horrible injury and be out for six months? Is that a consideration at the moment? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's a fear, uh, but it is definitely a consideration into how we plan the training sessions. We're not going to be doing any running in terms of long distance or you know cardiovascular running in the first few weeks, and a lot of uh, our training sessions are short and sharp. Like I say, it's an introduction. They've been away for three months, and it's about getting the love back. It's not about running 20-minute, 30-minute sessions and and running them into the ground and seeing how fit they are, because that's not important. Um, it's about getting back, letting them see the new facilities, letting them enjoy each other's company. You know, haven't been able to do that. Um, and, and building up to it. Ultimately, the fitness side comes in pre-season. Um, this period that we've got now, they don't have to get themselves fully fit. That's what July uh, and the start of August is for. Obviously, the, the, the start of the season has been released at August 14th, I believe. Um, so as long as they stick to that, that means they'll have six weeks of training. That's where we'll start doing our, our fitness stuff. This is about just a little bit of pre-season -pre preparation getting them used to the ball again. Um, obviously, we've got our physios, um, we've got uh, strength and conditioning coaches, uh, we've got the advice from Dan Ag and the guys at Ultimate Fitness there who use our facility as well. And we put all of that consideration into our training. So hopefully, fingers crossed, touch wood, um, no one should get any, any bad injuries. Good to hear. <laughs> yeah. So, is there no chance of any sort of friendlies coming up to sort of have a bit of a ground opening or something like that with the new pitch and facilities, or is that on the back burner, as it were? It's on the back burner. There is, but uh, ultimately, if you're going to open the pitch, you want there to be 
as many fans as possible. We don't want to. We don't want to do a grand opening with with 20 fans or, or whatever it is. It, you know, um, we want to get proper, you know, good fixtures down here. Get the fans back in when it's safe to do so. By the way, we don't want to rush that. We have to be confident that everyone's going to be safe uh, in the environment. And then once that happens, which you know, fingers crossed, June looks like it's still the date, and looks like the vaccination rollout is going well. People are, uh, are looking forward to getting out. That, that's when we would be looking to do proper friendlies. We have got the option of doing in-house friendlies and stuff, um, which we might do a couple. But again, coming back now isn't about playing loads and loads of games after you've been missing for three months. It's about steady build-up. There will be one or two in-house games, for example, where, again, we can look at our 18s, our academy, our first team, or our 16s. So we might do in-house things. A couple of weeks down the track, we might play a couple of local teams behind closed doors. But the, the, really, for us, the grand opening has to be in July when we, we come back for our first sort of pre-season game that way everyone gets to enjoy it with us i know there's a few people that can come in we we, we had a few external sessions this week we had soccer sixes uh, we've got walking football back we've got a few community groups back so a few people will get to see the the facility but in terms of grand opening i think we need to do that as big as we can and, and get as many people in as we can to to show the support to the lads in july adam was saying like you know the players have been chomping at a bit some of the young the younger teams to you know asking for more training sessions and everything how pleasing is that for you as a director of football at the club um it's really pleasing and it, and it shows that we've done something right in terms of our recruitment first and foremost like I say, there's there's not many players here who aren't itching to come back and do extra. They all want to do extra. That's the norm. So I'd say the recruitment has been really good. And, and actually the environment that we set and the players set and the senior players, you know, Aaron Racine and Darren Buds and Alex Parsons and all those sort of guys, they set a really good environment for everyone else. So, um, yeah, it is pleasing to see that. And... Hopefully that continues through the season and pre-season when it gets a bit tougher as well. Adam was also saying that he'd be quite happy with the squad that we've got at the moment for going into next season. Do you share those thoughts? I think we sort of proved that the group of players that we had can compete. You know, we've had one and a you know basically over two seasons we've completed one full season. Both times we were competing at the top, so I think it's fair to say that, that, that at least the core of the players we've got are more than good enough to compete at, at this level and they've shown that many times so you know if we go into the next season and um, with the same squad we'd be expecting them to compete again I think that's fair fair to say they're one year on in terms of experience they've had to go for a really tough time they'll they'll be better for it in terms of their mental strength and fortitude to come back and attack it again but in terms of quality I don't think there's any doubt that our squad is one of the best in the league it's about yeah, having that belief to go and do it again. Obviously, there was a lot of frustration in the in the first sort of curtailment or null and voiding of the league. There was a lot of frustration because they'd worked so hard to get into that position. So it's about putting that behind you and using it as fuel to go again. But yeah, in terms of actual ability and application and showing they're good enough to go and win this division, I think they've proved that. And with the curtailments of last season... Yeah. and the null and void a season before yeah. was it easier for the players to take last season as we hadn't played as many games um, no no, I don't think it was easier um, what I would say is we'd gone through that process already so it wasn't as much of a surprise but it, it doesn't make it any less difficult to take yeah. because ultimately we feel the, the second one actually you go well 
that sort of makes sense. You know, we're not far into the season. Look at the fiasco that's happened in the in the leagues above us. Yeah, yeah. It's an absolute joke how how these people run the leagues. It's a, you know a lot of effort and time. I know people say money. A lot of money's gone into it, but people's time has gone into that. But you know. You, um, and our owner George, think how much he's sunk into the club in terms of time and effort over the last four or five years. And there's no consideration for that. People think it's just about money or getting promoted. It's not about that. It's about having almost your life's work meaning nothing. Yeah. You know, people are you know doing all they can for their football clubs all around the country. So the second time around, they've curtailed it. I feel they should have had a plan in place. It was fairly obvious that there could have been a second wave and third wave. Everyone knew that. So you need to have a plan in place, and they didn't have a plan in place. So you'd think after, that's the frustration again. We understand it. And, and actually, everyone's safety comes above any everything. Yeah. It comes above us getting promoted. It, it comes above money. It comes above everything. So it, it's important that we kept everyone safe. However, it was, I think you could have predicted that th- there would have been an issue again. And I think before we started the season, our leagues and the leagues above should have had a contingency plan. And they shouldn't have null and voided the first season. To think that you can null and void a season go back immediately from a global pandemic and everything was going to be rosy is madness. You had to expect that there was going to be uh, another wave or, or some sort of implications. And, you know, they sent out questionnaires and what would you want to do and do you want to carry on this and all that sort of stuff. And then they null and voided it anyway. And then the same thing happened again. And I just think it was bad leadership on their part. Um, so I know that's a long-winded answer, but I, I think we understood the, the curtailment we understood it for safety reasons we just were frustrated frustrated with the leadership of the people running our leagues obviously before the season was curtailed we hadn't long signed Omar and Danny Papo so obviously this time that you're having now before mid mid season break yeah, yeah. <laughs> so basically it's going to give them more of a chance to integrate in, into the squad and get to, to know the way we play so we can expect a bit more of them when the season starts in August yeah I mean it's, it, listen I think it's it's the same for every single player obviously they're, they're, they're good players they came in they showed glimpses of what they can do but it's the same with every player we've, we've got Shaq we had Mo Diallo for a little bit we've, we've had Leon Moore we've had um, young players who, who would have come through people like Joe Ryan there's lots of different players that we feel had the season gone on might have started to impact the season it's really difficult to predict what's going to happen going into next season because of course you've got another wave of under 18s coming through who are all fighting for a shirt you've got another wave of uh, people around Sussex you know might be getting released Can you stop saying wave oh yeah yeah it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's imprinted in my head I need to <laughs> but you know there's you look at the players that we've recruited in the past yeah. a lot of them have a link with Brighton so if there's boys at Brighton that are getting released at under 18s under 23s there could be more Lonies, more more Kwamis and more Marley Mirandas and other people that we've had in the past so there's going to be a lot of, uh, of competition so yeah I, I, I don't know is the answer who's going to who's going to be in the squad what I would say is any single player that has represented us in the past we have full faith in them to go and do the business on the pitch but ultimately it's a competitive game and yeah they've got to show it in pre-season like I said the first sort of month or so isn't going to be about that Um, it'll about be getting back enjoying themselves playing some football enjoying the pitch Um, eventually when we're allowed to seeing the new facilities in terms of training rooms and whatever and then we can think about all the rest of the stuff as, as we go.
Obviously, we've got the younger teams, the youth teams, the under-18s, under-16s, etc., etc. How much of an inspiration is it for them, seeing players like Finn and Kwame going up and doing what they're doing at at a higher level? And, you know, it's something that they really can set their sights to and and hope to attain with the coaching that's going on here and what a professional setup that we've got. Hopefully a really big inspiration and, and, you know, again, there's something that we want to do a lot of. We've had Omar in in the past make the jump, Um, you know, David Adjaboy, is it looking like Sutton hopefully become, you know, a a pro club or League Two club very soon. And yeah, each year we've taken it further and, you know, we had had Kwame, we had Finn, we had little Mo going to to Gambia. Um, And ultimately we feel that we provide an environment for all players to develop. So that's the key is for young players to see that we will work with you as a person and whether that's Finn playing for Wales or whether that's someone playing, you know, county football actually it doesn't matter what matters is we're getting them to the to the highest level we can get them and, and they can attain um, and I feel the young players do see Finn and Kwame and think God it wasn't that long ago I was training with those guys I was playing with those guys and seeing them break into the to the men's team and then seeing them go off to, to pro clubs and not only going to pro clubs but then establishing themselves in those clubs it, it does go to show that you're not as far away as you think <laughs> sometimes it you know there's a huge chasm between Ishmian level football and you know championship and, and, and what have you but actually if you've got the talent and the, the, the application and the belief and the right environment to develop you're not as far away as you think. I think non-league, especially going forward, the one thing COVID has done is, is, is there's going to be a lot of planning around finance and budgets. And there's going to be a huge spotlight. There's been a spotlight on the non-league in the last few years, as we saw. I think the next couple of years, there's going to be even more of a spotlight. And if you are if you can get in to a men's team at this level and showcase your ability on a regular basis, people will notice that if you're playing as a 16, 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old regularly doing the business at the top end of the Ishmael Leagues, then someone will notice and you can get opportunities. So, yeah, hopefully that will push all our boys on and we can have a, another success story next season. OK, thanks for that, Nathan. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, get you back to uh, training now. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Thanks, Cheers, the Rebel Yell Podcast. So joining us now, we have said is at the right time for the second podcast to be dropped. The new women's manager, John Donoghue. Don, I've pronounced your name right, firstly. Is that correct? You have. That's a good start then. Welcome. It, it, it is for you, James. <laughs> yeah, I, norm- I normally get things wrong and normally make myself look a complete fool, but at least I've got the first one right. Ask him how he says Folkestone. <laughs> Folkestone, Folkestone. Yeah, I get wound up by Pete. Welcome to Worthy Football Club and welcome to the Rebel Yell podcast and the Rebel Yell brand. How's it going? How, how have you been? Yeah, good, thanks. Um, obviously, I've done a couple of sessions now with the players, so that's been, um, been exciting to get back. They're a great group, so obviously the recruitment was fantastic for a team that was deserved to win the league, basically, I think, last season and heading that way this season. So they've been fantastic on the two sessions that I've taken. Has it been quite a whirlwind for you since getting the job? You know, obviously, Michelle left, and within a couple of weeks, yeah. we had you lined up. So I guess it was a well, very quick thing. Yeah, well, credit to, to Michelle. Um, she had already just spoken to me anyway uh, about the potential of coming in. Uh, and when obviously she left, she actively said to Nathan Bowen, contact John, more than happy for you to follow that through. So so he did. And we, we obviously chatted, chatted with a couple of other board members. And um, 
yeah, so it was done within sort of a week and a half, two weeks, really. On the squad side of things, John, um, you said you've had a couple of training sessions. Is it basically the same players as last season, or is it going to be quite a bit of movement? Yeah, it's the it? same. It's the same players because the win, the the season was paused, uh, and then, well, I suppose um, cut short anyway. They've done a, um, a like a round robin tournament, so the players who were signed on are still signed on for each club. So there is potential movement if you give a notice of approaches, you would approach a, a player from another team, but. The vast majority of players who are playing football are signed on for other clubs. So it, the the squad we have is the squad we have. Um, there are opportunities to try to, to bring people in, but we're not entered into the games programme because uh, it was felt that was um, too challenging to juggle. And certainly we needed to, to offer the players some training sessions and then you know gain their views as, as we've stepped in. How have the players taken it in terms of like, you know, obviously they were should have been promoted. They did win the league. Well, yeah. it numerically and not officially, I think uh, it was they needed one more win to actually be crowned as champions, but they were promoted. And then obviously this season that happens, they got off to a great start again. What's the general yeah. consensus? Obviously, I'm sure there's a lot of disappointment, but how have they picked themselves up? And is it hard yeah, for you it's been to difficult. Sort of do that? Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, I haven't been able to discuss length in length uh, with with the players about that but um obviously we mentioned to to them that um the club is still going to try to apply to go up to the next division Excellent. and i said obviously the challenge is there you should have been going up with a medal around your neck and a trophy um and you could see that they were a bit disappointed that they put all that energy in you know how it is the away games the the training evenings and um the effort they put in outside is was all driven towards um, trying to get promotion. So, like I say, without being able to discuss that in detail, I know there's a disappointment there that um, that wasn't able to be there because because they deserved it. To be fair, hundred percent. Oh, absolutely. I went, I went to a lot of games and you know they're turning teams over four, five, six nil. That day where they actually gained promotion, um, and at the end of the game they just. You know, there was no celebrating or anything. They just got in a little, little hood ladder chat because they yeah. they just they just sort of knew what was coming the week later mm. when everything everything was shut down and it was yeah it, it was such an anti climax to that game. It's you know really really sad to sort of see in a way. And I'm sure I'm sure some of the players were were committing for like the the season or the two seasons to try and achieve that because obviously there were some good players recruited who moved clubs or dropped down a level to try and move move up and once you've invested all that time into trying to do that and and not see that success even though you know you deserve it because um disappointment what is the sort of goal for you now at Worthing I take it to try and get the women to the highest level but um you know what's your personal goal in the short term I'd say yeah well the short term is obviously to consolidate on the good work that Michelle did and the team, the club's done as a effort to, you know, bring on board a women's team because the, the women's team is quite young in terms of the amount of time it's been at the club. So it would be to look to consolidate with the current group. Hopefully we get this application to, to go up to tier five. Uh, and then I don't see any reason why we shouldn't be trying to be challenging for another promotion. That means that the players need to step up a level because the teams they're going to be playing, fingers crossed, are, are going to be more challenging. They're going to be asked to obviously play at a higher level. So it would be to develop the current squad, add to it, because I don't doubt some players have committed for their two years, so they may not be there another season. So just really to try to 
get the whole structure moving forward at the same time. You know, we want to work with the support staff. That's why we brought Kelly in and kept Rad. I've worked with Rad in the past. Kelly's a wonderful coach in the making and a, and a great person. And she's got experience of winning leagues as a player. So that's, that's very helpful. The work with the current board, to try to help support and develop and hopefully get some investment from people who want to sponsor the the men's team but also want to invest some time in the women's team so hopefully i can help support the the people who are challenged to do that and then grow it a bit more organically you know so everything is moved a long time got a lot of experience with lewis and the women's team there they're in a higher league than us in, in the women's level so how do you think that's going to help you guide the worthing team in terms of personally, I know what that level is like. So you've experienced that level. You know, you know, the old cliche about building a house, you know, you know what the end result is. So the house doesn't fall down. You've got to make sure that you know where the foundations are and the different elements to get up to there. And that's the experience I have. So I know that level, the, the higher level, and I know what needs to be done at the highest level. But as I say, it's sensible to look at the steps and not get too far ahead of ourselves because, you know, step six to step two is a huge jump. And it, yeah, a bit exciting if you could get, get, us, <laughs> get us up to the same level as, as Lewis, because they have such a good following, don't they, on a Sunday as yeah. well? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's one thing that uh, told me about this, this job is that there's a great fan base at Worthing, and I believe that that fan base can be encouraged to, to support the women as well. So not only current fans, but bring new supporters in. And having more supporters will enable us to be able to develop, um, you know, really want the community to get behind. And I think that can only help you be more successful. There was one game that we had, uh, Michelle done a promotion, which uh, took tickets around the schools. And we had actually 300 fans down there, the one ladies game. On a oh, Sunday. was that for the Crawley Wasps Cup game? I think it possibly was. was but it, uh, yeah, I think it was. But, it, you know, it was absolutely incredible. And then you, you, go, you go over next week and you, you're back down to the 40 or 50. Yeah. So, so you're like, oh, the disappointment comes over you again. So it would be nice yeah. to draw the fans in, get more kids involved, especially young girls yeah. at school now. Because the FA, they're spending a lot of money and there's going to be a lot of televised games on women's football from next yeah. year. So I think it really is an ideal opportunity to be able to go to these schools and get these kids involved and get them down the ground every week. I think you're right. I think that investment in in the community, certainly there's um, a big sort of, I suppose, catchment area, not only for, for players, because there's been a lot of good players coming through at Worthing, but also getting the the surrounding areas to know that there is a women's team. They play on Sunday. So if you aren't able to get along on a, on a Saturday or you want to go on a Saturday and then come along on Sunday, there's a good level of football on a wonderful pitch, you know, great environment. What do you think of the pitch? Because we've asked everyone and obviously it's the, the latest all singing or dancing part of Woodside Road. Uh, what, what, what's your first impressions on it? Yeah, it's lovely. I think it sets it off. I like I like the three Gs where they don't have all the different lines of the different sizes of pitches on. So they've got <laughs> just a football pitch on there. So that that's good. But no, it's it's lovely. And I think I think what the it, because it seems quite um, can't say thick the grass because it's quite tight the the three G then once you get a bit of water on that the 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 ball is going to zip so at the moment we've been training in dry conditions and you really have to stick the pass in so it it, it travels through so uh, in the past that sometimes is challenging when you go then to a grass pitch where it uh, it skids along off the surface or hits a little bump and kicks up and then you have to try and control it but yeah it's 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 been great it's different than a couple of 3Gs that I've been on like I say the grass seems a bit uh, thicker 
Well, plastic seems a bit thicker. <laughs> it's interesting to know that. I never, yeah. I never really thought. And when you fall over, it doesn't hurt so much, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. More, more, more comfort, more padding. Well, that was yeah. it, yeah. Yeah, nothing worse than friction burns down the thigh. It's painful, it's painful. So, John, did you actually play football yourself? Yeah, so uh, I think probably my youth team coach got it right by saying to me, John, you're captain of the team, but have you thought thought about coaching at all? And I should have taken that as a cue that I was probably better at coaching. So I played for Bogley Youth Team, played for Pagham, Wick, Portfield when they were around, so sort of county league level. Uh, went out to the States for a short time, played out there. So, um, yeah. What was it Greaves, he said? He couldn't trap a bag of cement. That's probably... Um... <laughs> <laughs> so, no, so I was, you know, an adequate level to be able to demonstrate. But um, the coach I had used to work, work with a football association and he worked in coach education. So I'd, I'd like to think that he, he thought I would be a wonderful coach and a wonderful player. But I think he was steering me down the coaching quite early. Because looking at your history here, obviously you've been at Southampton, you've been at Bournemouth, yeah. you've been at Brighton as well, with various positions at big clubs, to be honest. Yeah, so like I say, well, I started at, um, initially I was doing like what most people do, playing and I had a different job, but I did go through my coaching badges quite young. So I started coaching probably around 21. So I started my coaching badges as I was still playing and I set up the team and some coaching sessions with a friend of mine. So developed that. And then I, I got the job as a community manager at Southampton Football Club. But I also interviewed for to take the women's team. So the women's team were playing in what used to be what is now the WSL, but then it used to be the National League. So we had Arsenal in it. We had Doncaster Bells. We had um, Leeds who were were up there. Chelsea weren't around much uh, at all. They were were quite Mm. uh, um, a lower team. So I did that. And then I moved from coaching the women's team, stayed in the community. And then I worked for the youth academy, worked for the various different teams for about seven years, I think it was. So... um, did my badges, went through, worked with some great, great young players. I think it was like, you, you know, you're seeing, I'd like to say I had the biggest impact on all the players that come through, but obviously I was just one of many people that were were coaching the, the latest ones that have come through. So are you, are you, you referring know, to the likes? Are you referring to the likes of Gareth Bale, Luke Shaw, James Ward Prowse, Callum Chambers, and and the Ox? Yeah, so um Less so Gareth Bale. If if I'd have coached him, he'd obviously been a brilliant player. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not playing golf. But yeah, so I um, I worked with uh, Luke Shaw, James Walprowse, Callum Chambers. And to be fair, Harrison Reed was in that group as well. Matt Target, who's uh, Aston Villa at the moment. So Oxay Chamberlain, he was in that, a little bit older than that group. So I didn't work with him so much, but uh, I worked with his dad quite a bit, to be fair. So yeah, a lot of them have come come through. They were they were a brilliant squad. Um, it's funny, I was talking to someone the other day. So James, James Ward's Prowse, dad came up to me at, at one point. He said, John, did you know this team has won 47 games in a row? And I went, no, I didn't know that. We didn't really be recorded, but that wasn't the main thing. And he said it would have been 61, but you played a team where there was trialists in it. So it's your fault you we lost that game. <laughs> <laughs> Blaming you then. Blaming you. <laughs> yeah, I thought that, that was OK. But uh, that to be that fair, that group was so special. Yeah. But um, I think any coach would have... Um, had similar sort of rewards as in terms of how they went through. They were hugely competitive, 
very intelligent and footballers. And of course, the recruitment of the club was was wonderful. So you go under a couple of years and over a couple of years, all those players now are, you know, even 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 some of that squad who are playing in League One, you know, they're they're still great success to get so many players through. Like you say, you know, Southampton, uh, cracking academy, bringing loads of players through. Um, yeah. bit of a bit of you know, if they kept all those players, they'd probably be up there challenging. <laughs> they they, they, they would, wouldn't they? Yeah, so true. They would, they would. You know, it's it's difficult, isn't it? You've got a as a club, they've got to decide. You know what what's what's the best for them. So you might suffer on your budget line if you don't sell a few players. You went on to Dorchester, didn't you, as an assistant manager in the conference? Yeah. Enough. So you're you're there for one season, I see. Yeah, because the the manager of Dorchester went and head of youth job at um, Bournemouth, and he asked me to. Ah, uh, uh, there you go. So yeah, that that helped a little bit, but uh, obviously I'd done a good job. <laughs> and I, I, I guess were you were you there during the glory years of Bournemouth? I can't work out. Was it was that when they got promoted to the Premier League, or um, was it just after? No, um, I was there just before beforehand. Yeah. Eddie Howe, he was at Burnley when I was there. So yeah, so there was another manager, couple of managers after he before he returned, and I, yeah. I'd I'd gone about the same time he was coming in. Quite an exciting time to be around the club because I guess that was sort of on the, when they're on the up. Yeah, no, they were. They were investing a little bit more in in the squad. The training ground was being developed, pitch area. You know, in order around the stadium was being developed. The structure of the academy was it was improving as well. And yeah. you know, some some players have still made it through. Bailey Cargill, who's not there anymore, he's gone to to MK Dons. He was there. You got a couple of other players that have gone through. So you know, there's there was still that recruitment of the young players that were still coming through and got into the first team. I think the thing is these days, academies are so important to clubs, even clubs at lower levels, you know, like ourselves, your experience in various academies throughout mm-hmm. the years can, can only bode well, really, can't it? Well, I think academies, often their success is the recruitment and then how you deal with those young players and help support and develop them both mentally, physically, but then tactically as they as they get a bit older. But it's that investment in time with them and give them that quality in terms of the support, but having a good recruitment. So Southampton's recruitment was very special, how they identified the players and the right players. But of course, you have to have good support staff. So the physios, the strength and conditioning, analyst side of things, as well as the psychology and the coaching. So all of those married together help support those players through. Because you've always got to realise as well is not all of them are going to come through. So, so you've got a responsibility to football to help support them to be better, no matter what level they play at, but also support them in terms of psychologically. And sometimes you don't always get that right. It's a huge disappointment, no matter how you tell people that... Um, they're not going to make it. And I've had to sit in some of those um, rooms and you see not only disappointment on the young player's face, but also the, the the parents who've invested a huge amount of time going up and down the motorways and, and, and getting them to training and games. So it's, yeah, it's not a nice thing to do, but you've got to do it sometimes. Part of the job, yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's part, part of the job. But yeah. yeah, that must be the hardest thing in the world. And I suppose, especially in this day and age with mentality and being spoken about a lot, it, I think it is something that some clubs could probably do better on it than what they're doing at the moment. Yeah, it's that direction, isn't it? Making sure that um, there's people around who who have that knowledge to support that. And I've had it before, you know, like the welfare person tapped me on it. John, I think we need to deal with this this way and I think it'll be better. And I've gone, okay. Yeah, let's follow it that way, because I've certainly made mistakes, but had to have good people around you helps you to support you in that. Because 
that's why you have experts to deal with different things. As a coach, you're probably not an expert in all areas, but it helps to have knowledge and it helps to seek the advice of others for, for certain aspects. And, um, you know, I mean, like I said, we don't always get it right all the time. Even with the best intentions, you you mess a few things up. So, uh, and I've done that a few times. Might be a couple of players listening to this nodding at the times. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, John, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, we're just aware you've got the women's team to sort out. So, <laughs> Well, I'm looking forward to that. And we've got some good people helping us um nathan bowen has been fantastic with his his efforts and energy to do that even delivering some lovely clean bibs to me so i put them in the cupboard will they still be there at this this training session you have to have a look. <laughs> I, I doubt it when when will you know about the um fa's if, if you're going to go up to step five when will when will you know i don't know that? i don't know i suppose um because i guess your preparation you sort of depends on that really doesn't it well the preparation will be the, the same because I'd like to recruit the same players. Mm-hmm. It may be that going up might help us to keep some of the current squad who still want to invest, still want to want to play. So they might think, oh, you know, oh, we deserve to go up, and I want to play at that high level. So that will help keep the players we've currently got. But it may help to recruit some others. But I'll, I'll be looking to have as best squad as I possibly can. So it won't be too dissimilar in terms of people we're we're trying to invest some some energy into because of the fact that you know you still want to be successful and um and I think the leagues are going to keep getting better or more challenging because of the the more excitement around women's football now. John Donoghue, thank you very much for joining us on the Rebel Yell podcast and we look forward to uh, seeing meeting you in person very soon. This is the Rebel Yell podcast. Three very interesting interviews there. It's great to hear from John, the new women's manager, and always good to hear from Nathan and Barry. Quite exciting times for the club, getting up to that national self-standard and plans for the future, possibly to National League football. Yeah, and also, you know, uh, John's, what he's got what he's got plans, you know, to try and get Worthing women climbing the leagues. So hopefully mm. we'll get that promotion and we'll start in a higher league next season because it's, it's well-deserved. Um, but obviously, you know, with his CV and uh, background that he's got with uh, academy and women's football, uh, it can only bode, bode well for the future of the women's team. So we just appeal to the fans to come out on a Sunday as well as a Saturday if you can. Yeah, 100%. It'll be good to see a crowd down. As you said about when they had the cup game, the promotion, it was on 300 odd, but the following week, there's back down to 40. So if you can get a bit of a following going, look what happens at Lewis. And I don't want to be disrespectful to Lewis, but I'm pretty sure the women have a bigger following than the men's at Lewis. Is that right? I think they do, to be honest. Yeah, they get more so. So if we can send some of our fans to the women's games on Sunday, that'd be fantastic. But Pete, I think that comes to the end of our two specials of the Rebel Yell end of season unparty, which yes, cleverly Pete. named. I don't know if that was clever or a bit weirdly named, but <laughs> well, always weirdly when you're involved. But yeah, you no, know, it's been really good to do it and just uh, talk about football and you know Worthing specifically. So, mm-hmm. um, and hopefully we've got something to look forward to in the future. And I'm presuming we'll. Pop- Probably do one of these before the season starts. Catch up with everybody and yeah, see what we. Well, we do. have got a season start date. What what was the date again? Fourteenth, fourteenth of August. Fourteenth of August. So I'm sure we'll get some pre-season friendlies in there. Uh, the Rebelyard.live service will be back uh, with part in thanks to MK Window Cleaning who said sponsorship out for the Rebel Yell podcast and Rebelyard.live. We'll be back next season, and as Pete says, we'll I'm sure we'll do some sort of pre-season chat. Definitely. Cute fat, maybe in a pub garden or something. Hopefully more than the pub garden then. <laughs> and maybe inside. But with the snow and everything like that right now, we hope hope to God it won't be uh, snowy in uh, August or anything. It could be global warming and all that. But anyway, I digress. 
Pete, it's been a pleasure. Digressing, it's digressing. Yeah. It's been enjoyable, and uh, we'll see you all next season. Take care. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.